0: So, um, kind of conflicted on how to handle today. There's so many little random things that I want to talk about and discuss. However, the scheduling is kind of messed up because I don't, usually today would be like the full breakdown or whatever, but it's staggered a day. However, on Sunday, I want to talk about Sunday stuff and Monday is usually a little bit more fun thing. So today still kind of makes sense that it would be that day, but there's a lot of other stuff to talk about. So I'm going to try to blend the two things together and uh, maybe lean a little bit more heavily on um, things that more directly pertain to the game on Monday. For example, we brought in a new kicker, not because there's anything wrong with Mason, not because we're going to be playing a new kicker, none of that stuff, it's just because. You know, the buzzword right now is emergency contacts, whatever. Just don't worry about it. Bottom line, there, done. Got that, crossed it off the list. No big deal. Uh, Another thing I wanted to talk about, Jake Kumaro. I mean, I I, I get the Jake Kumro thing, and I wanted to spend more time on it because it does kind of make sense, because it crosses, it it checks a lot of boxes, right? This is normally the kind of thing where I'd look at it and go, no, come on, guys, knock it off. But number one, Jay Kumro fits the mold. As much as we don't think of Jay Kumro as like a big body receiver, he is. He's a gigantic human being. He is a big body receiver. He fits the mold of what Uh, Matt LaFleur likes. He also happens to check the box of understanding the scheme, even if it's not to a huge degree. He's got Aaron Rodgers trust. He's been in the scheme for a full year. It would be relatively seamless as compared to some of the other guys we're bringing in. And again, look at who else is coming in. We're not bringing in, you know, Julio Jones for a workout. This is the absolute worst keyboard I've ever... This is Logitech. I really thought this would be solid. I'm bringing this back. This is putrid garbage it's wireless and i have to hold this thing like next to my computer or it won't work it's not it's it's i'm pushing hear that it's literally a foot and a half away i've just put new batteries in it which i just bought it shouldn't need it because it came with batteries and i thought well they gave me dead batteries nope hear that that's the sound of the keyboard not working i'm gonna bring it back broken it's unbelievable anyways I actually think it's a little receiver dongle that's causing problems. Regardless, we're back. Jake Coomer, it it makes sense, but here's something else to consider. The Packers clearly are not panicked by any of this. Packer fans are, which, and I kind of talked about that, I don't get it. I don't get the panic. Why? It has to be because we're assuming Devontae isn't playing. That's the only thing that makes sense to me. I don't understand being completely calm I mean, comparatively, completely calm, with no Devontae against the Saints, and absolutely losing it because Lazard against the Falcons. The only other way that this makes sense is because Lazard had one good game, we freak out and assume that he's the most elite wide receiver in football. Which, as far as fans go, some people I could see going down that road, like, he just had his first breakout game, this is amazing. Okay, I guess... By the way, um, Tanyan had his first breakout game. Jay Sternberger had his breakout game. Lots of people did. Because Lafleur is awesome, and Devontae was out, and he had to lean on a lot of other guys. Geronimo has had breakout games. Kumaro has had breakout games. It doesn't mean that they're great wide receivers. And I'm not picking on Alan Lazar, but... It, it, you know, I'd even heard somebody say something like, oh, he's on pace for like over 1,000 yards this season. No, he's not. Give me a break. The only reason he's even close to being on pace for 1,000 yards this season is because he had one good game when Devontae wasn't there. If Devontae's out the rest of the year, fine. He might break 1,000 yards. Just stop it. The Packers are not panicked. They're not calling around trying desperately to find new wide receivers. They're not calling up Jay Kummero, bringing him back out of desperation. They're fine. They're not worried about it you're worried about it. They're not worried about it. And you know what? Every single time you panic and the Packers don't, you've been proven wrong. And I got to be honest, this whole wide receiver, we should have drafted a wide receiver thing. As somebody who was on that train during the draft, I've admitted defeat. We were wrong. You got to give it up. This is not proof that we were right. It's not hot. See, if we had drafted a wide receiver, we wouldn't be in this predicament. First of all, we don't know we're in a predicament. Funchess, so okay let's 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 unravel this whole big thing right the argument in march was we have to draft a wide receiver because the guys we have aren't good enough that's the premise and don't lie and say it's not the premise because it is the premise that has been proven 100,000% wrong the guys we have minus funchus minus devonte are good enough minus eq by the way are good enough we lost Funches, equanimius and devonte And we ripped everybody's face off. So that is completely bunk garbage nonsense. We were proven wrong. We don't need to draft a wide receiver to have a good offense. And now we look at it and say, well, if Equinemius and uh, Lazard and Devontae and Funchess are all out, then we don't have a good group of wide receivers. First of all, you're changing your argument entirely. And second of all, if that's what you're calling a victory, that's the most ridiculous thing in the world that is absolutely comically stupid and you need to stop going on social media and portraying that as your argument because people are going to start looking at you a little bit differently stop that first of all that it's 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 a self-defeating argument first of all because the packers are notorious for drafting positions that aren't needs for that exact reason, because you never know what's going to happen. But that's an argument for drafting best player available and not need, which is not what you're advocating for. You didn't want best player available. You wanted us to draft for need. They drafted best player available because you never know when injuries are going to crop up, because you don't know the future, and that's the point. So it's a self defeating argument. Well, we should have just drafted best player available as though we didn't, we avoided wide receivers. No, they drafted who they thought was the best player. They specifically didn't draft need, and that's why everybody hated their draft class. We don't need a quarterback. We don't need a running back, right? Remember? That's called drafting best player available. And the main premise behind that argument is injuries can crop up anywhere. And we've seen we've seen that happen time and time again. We draft somebody, and they're like, oh, that's stupid. We already have that guy. And then somebody gets injured, and they end up starting, and it's like, oh, see? But again, we're four injuries deep into this thing, and we still don't know if it's going to be a problem. Beyond that... With all the injuries, I still think defensive tackle is a bigger need. I still think linebacker is a bigger need, even with all the injuries. And that's not even getting to the point where we say, okay, who do we draft? That's leaving that all out and just assuming you snap your fingers and whoever you draft in the first round magically, no matter what you want, there's somebody at every position that's going to be available. And because they're a first-round pick, they're going to be amazing. There's so many layers of please knock it off here that I don't even know exactly necessarily where to begin. The best that you can do is say, had you have done what I said, which has already been proven wrong, but had you have done the wrong thing, it would have ended up being right, maybe, because possibly we're going to play the Falcons down four wide receivers and we'll need him, assuming that whoever we drafted was going to be good, despite the fact that I don't think any of the wide receivers that were available when we drafted are any good. That's the best you can do, and it's the it's, the, it's a really flimsy garbage argument. Knock it off. Stop. It is what it is. We got a lot of things to be worried about. But, I mean, just the fact that this is the best Packers offense we've ever seen, despite drafting zero wide receivers, and and the we-should-have-drafted-a-wide-receiver crew is doing a victory lap, is kind of strange. The idea that Matt LaFleur's offense doesn't require elite wide receivers, and that was the argument being made, which I don't know if I even necessarily believed it. I mean, in theory, it sounds good, but I don't know if anyone can really just work with what we have, and then it's working, and we're good, and still people are freaking out. And again, I, I don't, I, unless you know Devontae's out, which I don't think anybody knows that, what are, what are we even talking about? We can't beat the Falcons without Lazar? That is, that is the most weird sentence ever. And it's been a week of, of constant writhing and, and panicking. And I don't, I can't understand it. I don't know what we're talking about. Since when did Alan Lazar become the number one wide receiver on this team? Oh, we can't win without Lazard. (laughs) What? What are you talking about? Why? Okay. Again, not at all trying to trash Lazard, but I I think we're putting way too much into this. Um, One week prior, the game in which, remember, Devontae played about a half a game. He had three receptions on five targets for 45 yards and no touchdown. He also had a drop. So he had one catch and one drop. His overall PFF grade this year is a 67, which is not even quite good. It's it's average. It's fine. His highest graded game was last week against New Orleans. It was a 72 overall grade. So that's cool. He's got two drops on the season and two touchdowns. He's I mean, he's solid, man. He's fine. But relax. I mean, we don't know about Devontae, but the fact that he was a full participant on uh, Friday, yesterday, pretty good sign right? Kenny Clark is still limited. Hopefully good to go. Josiah went from did not practice to limited. So that's forward progress, right? We're moving in the right direction. Rashawn's still limited. Hopefully he can go. Elton's still full participant. Kirksey's more than like, I don't think he's playing. Lazard obviously is out. Mercedes still didn't practice with a knee injury. We'll see what happens with that. Sedarius so limited. Billy Turner, full participation. Jordan Love was added for whatever reason. Doesn't matter. Even if Rodgers goes down, he's not the backup anyways. And it says it's an illness, he's sick, whatever. So I I don't, I don't I, I, I guess I'm kind of just, I'm not even sure what exactly I'm arguing against because I don't know the arguments for it. I just see constant panic and pandemonium about Alan Lazard, and it just confuses me. And again, I would love it if someone could explain it to me, but then just explain to me really quickly why it's more panicked than when we played a much better team while we were down a much better wide receiver. Because it's not even close. It's not even close, and don't lie and say that it is, the amount of panic this week compared to last week. And that's what's freaking me out. I, I just, I don't understand. It's it's almost like it's the exact opposite of how it should be. It's not it's that's exactly literally what it is. Um, as far as w- what do we do moving forward? Look, it's, it's, it's pretty simple. And I already talked about it. It's, it's going to be Devontae and, um and MBS, and there's going to be a ton of tight end and running back type stuff, which fortunately for the Green Bay Packers, that's what we like to do anyways. Depending on injuries with Mercedes Lewis and Josiah DeGuara, I don't think it's impossible we see four tight ends. I was thinking about that today as I was driving home from running some errands. Sorry for being late, by the way. Um, wanted to get a little bit of extra sleep, you know, with the baby and whatnot, plus my wife's going through a bunch of pain, so she was up in the middle of the night. So I slept until 6 30, so got that going for me. Anyways, Let's just assume everybody's healthy. Think about this for a moment. And maybe four is a little bit much because I'm, what I'm picturing in my head is actually 12 men on the field, so that doesn't work. But you can tweak it a little bit. I think it's possible, and there's, there's several differences here, I think it's possible that you could argue one of the better replacements for Alan Lazard would be Jay Sternberger. Now, Malik Taylor probably is a better actual like one-to-one comparison, but if we want to highlight Jace and we want to utilize, essentially, if, in other words, if you think about function as opposed to size, and I talk about this all the time, especially with defensive tackle, right? Kenny Clark isn't a good defensive tackle because he's only 313 pounds and a real nose tackle is like 330. Well, that's true in terms of size, but when you think about function, he does everything a nose tackle can do, all right? If you need a guy that can handle double teams and, and everything else, he can he can handle all that it's it's like an application. You can focus on the degrees and all that kind of stuff, or you can just focus on can you do the job, which is what we should be doing. That's a separate conversation. So if you're looking at a guy that's similar height, similar weight, similar speed, I think Malik Taylor's probably closer to Lazard than Jay Sternberger is. But if you think about function, about putting in a big slot, for example, a guy that we're going to put in the slot that's just going to out-muscle, out somebody, and, and make no mistake, and this is one of the problems, Jace is a lot slower than Lazard is. Four five five compared to like four seven five. Jace is not a speedster, but if you got a guy that can run the right routes, and and remember, a lot of this, a lot of Jace getting open and Lazard getting open, and a lot of these guys not named Devonte Adams getting open this year. I guess MVS also. I mean, not MVS. You, whatever. I think that's what I meant. <laughs> I don't remember. A lot of this is scheme, and and you you've got great guys like like Fennel and Eye in the Sky and a lot of these guys on Twitter that are kind of laying out. You can see these. The play designs and and how you know a lot of these bunch sets to one side and whatever, it's just about overwhelming things. And and you'll have a situation where you got one defender that has to pick between two guys. Because it just there's just not enough people to cover everybody. That was Jace's big play down the left side, is everybody kind of grabbed a guy, and whether it's because of the confusion or just a numbers game, you had one defender who had a guy that was running behind him and a guy that was in front of him. Now couple things he can turn and run to the guy behind him because you want to protect the deep spot but it's there's so much processing going on in your head there's a very good possibility you assume there's somebody to take care of it not realizing that that person's currently being occupied because we've got like five guys on this side there's not going to be anybody behind me but you're not looking that way you're not thinking about it plus if you turn and run there's a guy right here who's going to be wide open and he's going to get a 15 yard gain because he's already eight yards down the field and you're turning the other direction running that way so i mean, you know You can't win. That was how Jace got his big thing. He was wide open down the sideline. But if you also think about, okay, well, when does Alan Lazard win in situations where it's not about scheme, it's it's about outmuscling people. He doesn't really outrun anybody. Sometimes he does, but again, you're catching people flat-footed because there's a safety missing, all that kind of stuff. I'm not saying he's slow. We know about his build-up speed and all that. But I can see Jace being utilized in that position, as I've been talking about since forever. He is the replacement for Jimmy Graham, and Jimmy Graham played in the slot 50% of his snaps. So far, Jace has played 48 times. Um, He's played 48 snaps. Only three have been in the slot. 36 of his 48 have been in line. Eight of them have been out wide. Now, maybe it's not in the slot. Maybe he's just lined up out wide because the, the, the specific formation I'm thinking of would require only two wide receivers, but... Either way, I think you're going to see a little bit less Jace in line, a little bit more out wide, because we need a big-body guy out there. The question is, do we trust Jace more than Malik Taylor? I think the answer is yes. We started to see, again, you could technically call it a breakout last week. And really, when we're talking about Matt LaFleur's scheme, it's just do what you're told, and I'm going to get you open. And then when you get open, get ready for the ball, because it's coming. Because Rodgers ain't no dummy. So think about this for a moment. We come out in a lot of two-tight end, right? If Josiah DeGuara is back... you, you could see a situation where you have Tanyan and Mercedes in line, Josiah Deguara lined up as a fullback or an H-back, essentially it's kind of like a fullback, just closer to the line of scrimmage, whatever. Fullback, H-back, doesn't matter. He would be, he would be characterized as a running back, but he is a tight end, so that would be the third tight end, and then Jace out wide. Can't really say slot because you can only have two wide receivers, whatever. That would be a situation where it's technically 22 personnel, which is two running backs, two tight ends, two wide receivers, but essentially we're talking about four tight ends on the field. And I don't think that's a terrible thing, depending on, like, if we're talking third and six, I'm not saying MVS is terrible in those situations, but if we're just trying to pick up a quick couple yards and we're trying to get real big, plus I I have to assume Jace is a better blocker than MVS is. So if we're running, having Jace on the corners is not going to be the worst situation in the world. Even if most of the time he's out there just to block, he's going to wreck the cornerbacks because he's 251 pounds, going up against 196-pound cornerbacks. He's going to serve that function of what Alan Lazard did, so he's the big-body guy that's going to out-muscle people. Not sure why Brian is yelling at me right now. (laughs) Random text messages. So we're clear, three question marks is, is yelling. At least that's how I interpret it. So if you send me something with three question marks, you're screaming at me and I'm confused by that. Anyways that's that's just one possibility that I could see happening right and his his snap count talking about Jace went from 12 to 16 to 20. and and when you listen to Matt Lafleur talk about what a great opportunity for some of these guys to step up I, I don't think that's just a throwaway statement I think he means it I think Matt to, to a degree is is let's say the coach part of him which I know we, we embody everything he does as coach, but literally coaching his guys and wanting them to grow. I think there's a part of him, the coach part of him, that's actually excited about Lazard. Again, that sounds horrible, but please understand the context. He's not excited about the injury. He's excited about the guys getting opportunities. He's excited about himself and being able to call different types of plays and packages to put Jace in different opportunities to really break out. Or Malik, or whoever. It doesn't matter. Bottom line is he gets to rip open that playbook and be like, all right, man, you're up. Let's see if you can do this. Because again, remember, why isn't Jordan Love playing? Outside of probably just being kind of bad. But because there's a guy in front of him. Why didn't Rashawn play? Because there was some really good guys in front of him. Why isn't A.J. Dillon playing? I promise you he loves A.J. Dillon. He's not playing because Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. And it's the same situation. If, if Aaron Jones and Jamal both went down, he would be mortified, horrified, scared for the team sad for the team sad for his guys but there would still be that part of him that's extremely excited for A.J. Dillon because number one he gets to utilize him and all those strengths and every reason they got him and also it's a great opportunity for Dillon similar situation here so he's looking at this as this is awesome like I I get to put myself to the test we get to put the scheme to the test these guys get to grow they get to get better they get more opportunities more snaps there's positives here and I think he genuinely means that. And I, I, I personally am excited about it because I think we're going to have to lean more on Matt LaFleur. And I think Matt's ready for that. I think he's excited. And, I, you know, it, it's going to require guys to step up. And again, I'm, I really hope Jace is ready to go because I think that's going to put a lot of strain because you look at this Packers team, it's so, it's, it's the exact opposite of one-dimensional, which is hilarious because that's literally exactly what the problem has been with the Packers since forever. Even when they were really good, they were basically entirely one-dimensional. I mean, granted, it's not really one dimension when you got different styles of receivers, but it's, it's pretty much one dimension, right? We're going to throw, and, you know, somebody's going to get open. You think about this Packers team. you got Devontae on one side who is just an elite receiver, and that's a problem in and of itself. you got MVS who is pretty one-dimensional by himself, but that one dimension has to be accounted for or you're in a lot of trouble. He's got speed, and he's really tall, and if I launch it up to him, you better have a solution because if he's even got a little bit of a step behind you, as tall as he is, if I put the ball in the right spot, Rodgers does, you, That's it's game over. That has to be accounted for. I mentioned that with Josiah Deguara, similar thing. You don't want to have to worry about Josiah. Who cares about Josiah Deguara? But if you don't account for him, I don't know what just happened to my neck there. This, <laughs> the sound just got stuck in my throat. If you don't account for him, that's a problem. Jace is multidimensional. Jace in the slot or Jace out wide. What are you going to do? You going to put a safety on him? You're really going to drop a safety to cover Jace? You're just weakening your defense as a whole. If you don't do that and you just put a a, a cornerback on him and he blocks your corner, he's going to block him out of existence. It's just such a, you can't be a vanilla defense against this Packers offense. There's too many weird little variables and it's, it's hard because no matter what package you bring out, there's a weakness somewhere that we can exploit. Are you going to put a safety out of position, make a safety come down and play cornerback? And if you're going to do that, it's probably going to be one of your more talented free safeties that you probably rather have either dedicated to Devontae or, again, you don't want extra attention to Jay Sternberger. Let's not forget, we still have to account for Aaron, Aaron Jones. And And what exactly does that even mean? I mean, stacking the box would be a good idea, but that's going to hurt you in terms of your coverage. Also, he may be running routes. We can split him out. You know what I want to see just because I want to see it? I don't know exactly how it helps us. I'm not, you know, a lot of these scheme guys on Twitter and everything else, they're much better at this stuff than I am, but I just want to see it just to see it. Just to be like, check out what I can do. I want to see a situation where you have A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones both in the backfield, and you have A.J. Dillon kind of in a fullback position with a bunch of tight ends, and, everybody, and you have to send out the defense that is built for stopping the run. And right as you do that, we split out Aaron Jones and put A.J. Dillon in the backfield. <laughs> so now all of a sudden we got three wide receivers. We could possibly even take Jace, who's in line, put him in the slot. Now we have four wide receivers, but also still have a gigantic, massive running back that you have to worry about. And that just, that sucks on so many levels. I feel like this team is like a, a walking transformer. It can just mutate and form into all these different things with the same personnel on the field. We, we we take these guys and we spread them out and we're spread out. We take these same guys and we bring them in line and and, not, and the thing is, not everybody can do that. You can't just do that with anybody. You can't just take any random tight end and split them out. There are certain tight ends that are built kind of to to handle going both ways on that. Same with running back. You can split out anybody you want, but that doesn't make them Aaron Jones. You can put whatever running back you want in the fullback position. That doesn't make him Josiah DeGuara or A.J. Dillon. And the fact that they can morph and do all these different things and you just have no idea what in the world they're going to do, which means I don't know what defense to put out there, and the Packers are going to wait to find out what defense you put out there. They're going to see it. They're going to say, okay, here's the weakness. Here's what we're going to do. And you have to try to stop that. And it, it, you know, sometimes you're going to win, right? Despite the fact that you're at a disadvantage on every single play because the Packers are exploiting your weaknesses, sometimes you just, you, you your guys win their matchups, kudos to you, and you, you get a stop. But eventually, you just, you can't stop that all the time. So again this this all kind of ties into us panicking about wide receiver and just looking at it and saying obviously that that helps us but it helps like this this group of plays and this dimension of the offense. His ability to be a, a good wide receiver in these ways as well as a really good blocker is made him perfect for this kind of offense. It also explains a ton about why the Packers are obsessed with those kinds of wide receivers because it seems weird like why do you want these 6 foot 4 giant slow guys? No offense to Lazard, but I mean, a lot of us want like the 5'11, 198 pound guy that runs a 4'3'5. Like, I just, just give me that guy, put him in the slot. Give me KJ Hamler. We'll put him in the slot. He'll just zip around real fast, like a little jackrabbit, you know, a little chipmunk, just, just squirreling around in there. Can't catch him, drop it off, boom, and he's gone. I still want that guy. But you understand, right? It's as cool as that is, that puts you back further into that one dimension type thing where w- when, when this guy's out here, you know exactly what we're doing. And it's just a matter of we're going to beat you. That's Mike McCarthy's thing. Give me really good wide receivers because I'm going to line up, which is why it kind of works in Dallas. We're going to line up. You know what we're doing, but you can't stop us. With this offensive line, which is eroding, but you know, it is what it is. With this offensive line, with this running back, with these wide receivers, you go ahead and try to stop us. It's, it's brute force. That's Mike McCarthy. He's a brute fo- force co- coach. He requires guys that are able to say, I don't care if they know what you're doing. You get out there and you beat them. And you can do that with Devontae and with Jordy and with Cobb and with that that whole crew. Matt LaFleur is a different animal. You have no idea what we're doing, and that's what we use to our advantage. And Alan Lazard is a great piece for that, but we still have a lot of really good pieces for that. Now, Devontae, you kind of know what he's doing, but you can't stop him. That's still a great piece to have. MVS, you more or less know what he's doing, but again, still a great piece to have because it forces you, as long as he's out there, you got to cover this region of the field. So as we are condensed and compressed it's 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 advisable that you also don't compress with us you might want to hang back a little bit and we've seen and and even on those unsuccessful passes I think there's a there's a reason why Aaron Rodgers will just drop back and launch it it's it's kind of a warning shot now you want to connect and it's frustrating when you don't and it might possibly backfire and embolden them to say okay well it seems like you're not able to to complete that pass so we're going to continue not doing it but you want to fire that warning shot across the bow to say, "I'm telling you, man, I see you when you're trying to sneak up. I see you when you're not covering MVS, and we're going to shoot down the field whenever you do that." All right? It's 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 mind games. So I'm 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 confident. It's 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 not just a matter of, you know, we're going to beat the Falcons because we're so good and they're so trash. I mean, there's there's things to be concerned about. It's obviously a better offense with Lazard and it's 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 a scary game, regardless. even if we had Lazard, there's concerns because it's a very good Falcons offense coming or you know, playing against a struggling Packers defense and it's really a matter of can our offense keep up and I, I get all that. but I, th- I think we're entirely too panicked about a guy that, you know, had one really good game this year is a a solid contributor. but but again, another hallmark of this offense that has only gotten better since last year, but also was last year is that there's always a guy that steps up. One week it's Kumaro, one week it's uh, Lazard, next week week it's MVS, and then the next week it's Aaron Rodgers, and then it's Aaron Jones, and then it's Jamal. There's always just one person. And then if the offense is just trash, the defense has a good week. But so far, it's like there's always just somebody that steps up. Week one was what? It wasn't Alan Lazard. It was Devontae Adams. Because they sold out and said, you're not going to be able to run the ball. And we're like, cool, bro. Cool story. So, so Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams just lit them up with, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that sprinkled in. The next week, well, you're not going to do that again. We're not going to let you throw all over us, so what do we do? We gave it to Aaron Jones, and Aaron Jones carved him up. The next week, they said, well, you don't have Devontae, and we're going to stop Aaron Jones. Now you don't have Jones or Devontae. Now what are you going to do? And we went to Alan Lazard and carved him up. And again, the the faulty thinking is, well, that's because Alan Lazard is so good. No, man, it's... The, the defense is trying to dictate to us, saying, we're going to take this away, now what are you going to do? And Matt LaFleur says, well, we'll go to this guy. This week we have our best two weapons on the field. Well, three if you include Aaron Rodgers, but we have Aaron Jones and we have Devontae. How many of those things are the Falcons going to be able to take away? Do you think they're going to take away Aaron Jones the way the Saints and the Vikings did? I don't think they can. Are they going to take away Devontae? I don't think anybody can, including Detroit, who, you know, Devontae didn't have a huge day, but again, he was hurt. For at least half of that game so I I I don't know if we even need to lean on Jace or Deguara or Mercedes or Tanyan or Jamal or whatever We, we have our top two weapons that have absolutely obliterated two teams this year and the again the only reason Lazard had such a big day is because he's kind of the next guy in line when our top two guys go out who are playing this week so relax We spend all this time talking about who's the next guy, who's the next guy. Now that Lazard is gone, who's going to be? You know, how about Devontae? Any votes for (laughs) Devontae? Anybody? How about Aaron Jones going up against literally the worst run defense in football? Any vote of confidence for Mr. Aaron Jones? Is there a person that can, can, you know, can I get an amen? Which, by the way, I'm going to say it again. It probably won't happen because, you know, forget me and my wishes. But, you know, could... If it's going to be easy on the ground, can we get AJ Dillon going? I know Aaron Jones is better. I'm not saying he's not, but we got a lot of guys that are banged up. I don't want Aaron Jones getting banged up. If we got to keep him fresh, I mean, hey, a 15-yard run is a 15-yard run. Let's 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 start using up this guy who's meant to be on this team because you can abuse him a little bit. AJ Dillon is the guy that's built for 20 carries a game. Aaron Jones is not. I don't want Aaron Jones getting 23 carries in this game. I mean, if look, if we're down and it's it's you know, maybe we don't start the game that way, but if we're up by a couple scores, just put in Dylan. Just do it. Just, just just, humor me, please. Just grind that man into the ground, who still, by the way, is one of the highest-graded running backs in football because despite his only couple carries, he was phenomenal, breaking tackles and just being an absolute madman. And if this is one of the worst run defenses in the world, it's one of those things you can put him in the backfield and be like, you could just have Aaron Rodgers lean over and say, hey, we're running, and then give the ball to Dylan and say, just go smash everybody. I don't know. I'm just I'm just saying but again it, it, I don't know I don't know I, I'm not I'm not worried and I don't know why everyone's worried can we lose of course we can lose we could have lost against the Saints we could have lost against the I, I didn't feel good about any one game this week or this week this this year the Vikings game scared me because it's the Vikings you never know Kirk Cousins and and Thielen and those guys and, and they did tear it up by the way scored 30 what 34 points against us that's not a small thing. If it wasn't for this offense being the best in football, we lose that game. In 2019, we lost. We're we're all in one to start the season. Lions scared me for obvious reasons. I mean, once we found out Galladay wasn't playing, I felt a lot better about it. But it's still the Lions, and you never know. We ended up pounding them into the dirt, but I didn't know. Right, so I'm scared two weeks in a row, and then we got the Saints with no Devontae. How does that not scare you? Everybody was scared, and rightly so. So am I worried about the Falcons? Of course. This defense has to be able to stop them from scoring points, and if they can't stop them... We're in danger, because there's no guarantee that for any offense you score on every drive. So I'm worried about this defense being able to step up enough, which is what Petten kind of talked about, which is interesting. I, I don't care for the strategy, but it, it makes sense logically. He's, he wants to limit big plays, and essentially the way he looks at it, which again, it makes a lot of sense, and I've kind of talked about this before, If if you're just keeping things to little dink and dunk type stuff, eventually we're going to get you. Right, as long as you're not taking those big chunk plays, as long as you're not getting behind us, getting those 30, 40-yard you know, plays or whatever, you can move the ball. You can convert four or five first downs and feel like this defense is an absolute failure, but it just takes one. And it's not hard to see how, how a really good offense that can't be stopped and is just working its way down the field, can. And, and we've seen this with the Packers too, where all of a sudden it's like, this offense can't be stopped, turns into, shoot, we're in trouble. Right? All, you run on first down, you lose a yard. Incomplete pass, now it's third and 11. Just like that! Suddenly, your back's up against the wall. You were just dominating, and now your back's up back's up against the wall. That seems to be Pettin's philosophy, and it, it's kind of working. The red zone is a problem. They need to tighten that up a little bit, and obviously, Kenny Clark is going to help in that regard. Being able to have a little bit more talent in the middle of the defense to be able to dedicate more talent to the outside of the defense, as opposed to, for example, having Zedarius play nose tackle most of the game. We can maybe put him back on the outside. But again, that, that seems to be the, the general philosophy, and I, I don't care for the idea of let's be garbage 90%, but be really good 10%, and as long as we can keep them on the field, we got a, we got a chance, because if you have to convert seven first downs in order to score, there's a good chance once in seven will stop you, and that sort of is, seems to be the mathematical equation going on in Mike Pettin's head. When they can score by converting two first downs, we're in trouble, because we can't stop that. Make them get seven before they get into the red zone, I like our odds. But for for whatever whatever you think about it, we're talking about a defense that is more capable of stopping the Falcons than their defense is of stopping the Packers. So as worried and scared as we are, they should be much more scared. And it really is, it just comes down to, and this wasn't the case for every team so far, at least that we were aware of. We didn't know the Vikings were going to be that bad. We didn't know the Lions were going to be that bad. I think this is the first time you can say that definitively. The Packers are clearly the better team, and it really just comes down to don't implode, and we got this one. If the offense comes out and it just kind of sputters, which, of course, obviously a lot of see, 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 we need Lazar, we should have drafted Denzel Mims, or whatever nonsense. Oh, dang, Cam Newton's out. Anyways, this is as good a spot as any to take a break. I want to say thank you very much to Alan Manning. He uh, upped his pledge, which is just as good as first-time donation anyways a casual reminder that that's that's always an option. But uh, make sure you are in the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. Make sure you like the Packernet Podcast Facebook page. If you like what I'm doing and you want to help out, you could always go to patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. You can support this show for as little as a dollar a month. And as much as I suck at getting in Patreon and doing stuff, um, because of all these people that have gotten on recently, I definitely feel like I need to do something. JJ had pointed out I need to get my... uh, my draft big board posted, so I will plan on doing that. I just updated that. For those that are interested, j- just in general, if I have any notes or anything, I, I usually throw it in Patreon if I think about it. So if there are any extra little perks or whatever, and I'm still planning on doing a stream one of these days over in Patreon, that'll be where it's at. I've had some people ask, you know, where, where can I get the most bang for my buck, so to speak, in terms of getting something back. If you want anything back, it's going to be in Patreon. If you don't want anything back, Venmo is, is perfectly fine. Um, anyways, we'll take a break and we'll take a little bit of a closer look at the Falcons as a whole up against the Green Bay Packers and just kind of what, what that team is about. So one of the biggest reasons I need you to be sure that you are in the Packernet Podcast Facebook group is because I need to know who your Iron Jock player of the day is going to be. We also got the other Iron Jock giveaway that I will be explaining in the group today. Just make sure you're, you're there because I'm planning on giving these things. I got, I have a lot of these to give away and I promise you, you want one. I just wore it again today. It's My wife went and got me a Green Bay Packers uh, hoodie to put on because it was cold when I took my daughter to go to her cross-country, and I was like, no, 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 and I'm scrounging around the house trying to find the Iron Jock hoodie because I want to wear that, partly because it's more comfortable, but on top of that, it's like, I don't want to be too hot in the car, and this thing does not, like, overheat you. It's just fantastic, fantastic quality. So, again, Iron Jock is I-R-N-J-O-C dot com. You can go check out their line of clothing there. They've got polo shirts, vests, workout shirts, sweatshirts, shorts, socks, underwear, running jackets, hoodies, and pants right now, all of which have their proprietary silver ion technology, which is killing 99.9% of bacteria and fungus. Unlike companies like Lululemon, who do use uh, silver iron and uh, silver ion and whatnot, it's only going to be in certain things, right? Maybe in shirts or whatever. They, they, they have it in everything. They got it in the socks, which I don't know why you wouldn't want to put in your socks. Those things stink. Don't forget that their uh, long pants, their shorts, their hoodies, and their running jackets have EnduraTech Plus fabric. This makes the uh, the fabric also water-repellent. So if you don't want to wait for the giveaway, you want to check out some of their stuff, maybe purchase a shirt or something just to see how it goes, make sure you head over to ironjock.com. That's I-R-O-N-J-O-C. I'll say it slower so it makes sense and sounds like actual letters. .com. Check them out on Facebook or at IronJock on Twitter. And also, we've got some games coming up. Actually, we have games today, and if you want to go over to mybookie.ag, you can start playing today. And as I've said, not only can you bet on these games, not only do they have prop bets, but they have live betting. As of right now, they've got live betting going on right now for golf. They've got live betting currently being updated for the French Open. No matter what you're into, what you want to bet on, if it's just for fun, if it's a serious deal for you, I, I can't... Think of a reason why you wouldn't want to use my bookie, and again, remember use promo code overtime, and they're going to double your first deposit when you create an account with my bookie. And don't forget to take a screen capture of that, send it to overtime at advertisecast.com to be entered to win $500. You don't want to miss out on that. Again, that's my bookie, m y b o o k i e. dot a g. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. So I want to just kind of run through, I can't do a full-throated, I guess, breakdown of how I see this going, but let's just run through their roster real quick, just to give an idea of what they're about. So first of all, um, apparently after last week, their defense doesn't quite rank quite as low anymore. They're no longer the 32nd ranked defense, they're actually pretty mediocre, that's what happens when there's only three weeks, you have one decent week and you jump up the rankings quite a bit, whatever. Um, As of right now, their defense, just like a lot of other defenses, has been uh, pretty horrific. Grady Jarrett is their top uh, defensive player right now, not super surprisingly. Um, at least as far as, you know, there, there are other guys who have graded higher. Similar to the Packers, there's guys that you've never heard of, like Sade Oluankun, highest graded linebacker right now. Why? I don't know. Why do we have rookie undrafted free agents as one of our highest graded guys? Because it's a weird 2020 season, don't worry about it. But in terms of guys who have played a, a actual starter size sample of snaps, Grady Jarrett is currently the highest. He's got 12 pressures already on the season. That surpasses anybody on the Packers. He already has three sacks, three hits, six hurries. And so although his PFF grade is pretty low compared to where he has been, largely because his run defense has been lacking, again, because it's 2020, like a lot of other guys, I expect this to get better. I expect Zadarius to get better. I expect you know Kenny, who's currently graded at a 65 overall, I expect that to get better. But even at that, um, he's been relatively lethal. Now, I don't think he's gone up against anybody quite as good as the Green Bay Packers offensive line. In fact, that's easy to say considering the Packers have arguably the best offensive line in football. He has so far gone up against the Seattle Seahawks who have a putrid offensive line. That's where five of his 12 pressures came from. Two of his three sacks came against Seattle. The other big game came against Chicago. That was his other one sack and his other five pressures. Um, and Chicago has a pretty, I mean, it just, at this point, it's a pretty bad offensive line. The other game was against Dallas. They have some uh, pretty weak spots, but they've also got some pretty uh, solid offensive line uh, pieces, and he only had two pressures in that game. And again, I think this is going to be the best offensive line Grady Jarrett has had to go up against. For those of you confused, because I said Grady Jarrett was hurt, he went from did not practice to limited participation yesterday. Takaris McKinley, on the other hand, also uh, did not practice, or at least for the second day in a row, didn't practice. Dante Fowler did. So of those three guys I mentioned along the defensive line, Takaris McKinley is the only guy that is still currently not practicing. Fowler and Jarrett are limited, so they're hurt, but they're practicing. Uh, Takaris McKinley is worth kind of worrying about a little bit. He's off to a really solid start, at least in terms of his pass rush. He's already got eight pressures on only 36 attempts. He's currently rushing at a 22% pass rush rate, which is wildly unsustainable, but that's pretty crazy. I mean, that's that's well beyond what Zedarius did last year. That's well beyond what anybody does ever. I think, like, I don't know. I don't know if I've ever seen that. Not sustainable, but again, he is off to just a rip-roar and start. We'll see, because he didn't practice the last two days. If he doesn't go, that puts him in a real tough spot. Again, Takaris is not a very good football player, but it, at the very least, he's been generating a ton of pressure recently. Dante Fowler is the other guy off the edge. Fowler, again, he was, he was a number three overall pick. I knew he was a first-round pick, but that's pretty wild. Um, He got picked up by Jacksonville after three years. They said enough of this guy. They shipped him off halfway through 2018 to L.A. After a year and a half in L.A., they're like, "Eh, I think we're done with this. Atlanta picked him up. So far, he's off to the worst start he's ever had. His current grade is a 44 overall. He's just not, I mean, he's kind of similar to Yannick Ngakwe in that he's a smaller guy who is horrific against the run. The only difference is Yannick is actually a pretty good pass rusher. Dante is not. I mean, last year wasn't horrible. His sack numbers are high, which is something that people look at and they say, see, he's a freak. Okay. The year before that, he had six sacks. So let's calm down. Now he already does have two sacks on the season. So again, people probably look at and say, you got to watch out for Dante, man. He's a a guy that gets a ton of pressures, a ton of sacks. He's really good. All right. Well, we'll see. He's a little bit under 10% so far in terms of total pressure rate. He's been horrible. His grade in coverage is in the 40s. His grade as a pass rusher is in the 50s. His tackling grade is in the 40s. His run defense grade is in the 40s. He's been putrid, horrible trash. When you take into the context that he is a third overall pick, that's wildly disappointing. Full disclosure, and I, there's no reason to say this other than, I, you know, because I feel like it, I was huge on Dante Fowler. Again, when it comes to the draft, there's just certain characteristics that I like, and a lot of the time, I'm just wrong. I like Dante Fowler-type pass rushers. Usually, they're not very good. The, the smaller, leaner, bend-the-corner kind of guys, those aren't the guys that are winning in 2020, but I like them. Same with linebackers. I like the big, sturdy, smash-you-in-the-mouth guys. They're not good linebackers. They're just not. You know, I like kind of the smaller, shiftier running backs, and now the Derrick Henry types are are making, you know, the the smash-you-in-the-face kind of guys are the ones. So I, you know, I like the draft because I can just be like, whatever. I like this guy. I don't care if he's not going to be too good. He's my guy. Right? Raekwon Davis. I told you flat out he's not going to be a good football player because he just, he's my kind of guy, and those guys just don't translate in the NFL. Right? He's just a run defender. Nobody cares about that. But anyways, Dante Fowler um, not doing very well. The only guys that are grading out even moderately decent against the run are, uh, you know, right now Deidre Sanat, who was a defensive lineman, but he's, he's, as far as the rotation goes, he's basically non-existent on the field, largely probably because he's a terrible pass rusher. And again, in 2020, we, we need a guy that can do that. And uh, Sanat is, is largely just a run defender. So the defensive line—it's—it's not inept. There are worse defensive lines in football. You got to worry about Grady. Takaris just kind of having a, a a little thing. Fowler, as bad as he is, it's kind of like Yannick, right? You you make fun of him and he can he can hurt you. He'll speed off the edge and get one. But at the end of the day, it's not a very good group. It's a struggling group. I mean, if you just look at you know points, they they're 32nd in points. They're 31st in yard. Um, 31st in passing yards. 31st in passing touchdowns. 28th in net yards per attempt passing. They are 13th in in rushing yards allowed, 28th in touchdowns allowed, 18th in yards per attempt on the ground, 4.5. It's a struggling group. I mean, it's, I'm not going to say it's a historically bad defense. They're 108 points against through three weeks is only ranked 27th in history. So there's, there's been worse teams. 17th if you don't, you know, count prior to 1970 after the merger. Sixth worst start in the last 10 years. But the other, the other, Side of this coin is that of all the teams that were worse, none of them had an offense that was anywhere near as good as the Falcons. The worst team was the twenty nineteen Miami Dolphins. Worst start in NFL history, 133 yards or points allowed. They only got sixteen points. The Jaguars got forty four, Giants got fifty four, Tennessee sixty seven, Kansas City in two thousand eleven had twenty seven points. The Falcons have got ninety so far. So they're scoring thirty a game. That's pretty impressive. The only teams since 2010 that had better offensive starts, where the New Orleans Saints had 104, and the Washington Redskins at the time in 2012 had 99 points. So anyways, it's a bad off defense. That's That's the bottom line. And again, bear in mind the teams that they went up against. The Seahawks got nearly 40. The Cowboys did get 40. The Chicago Bears got 30. The Bears were able to get to 30 points only twice last year. Anyways, continuing on with the defense, that was their defensive front. Uh, again, Grady Jarrett, questionable, talented, but not very good edge rusher. And then just a bunch of, I mean, similar to the Packers defensive line. You need to know about Kenny, the rest of them, you can kind of just forget about. There's there's potential, like with every human being that plays football, for them to have a good game, but you don't really need to worry about them. And that actually happens all the time. I, I remember numerous times when I'll say, don't worry about this guy, and he ends up having a big day. The one that sticks out in my mind was the Chicago Bears. I forget the guy's name. He's one of those guys that has like a hyphenated name. And I'm like, yeah, he's not good. He's the one guy you don't need to worry about. Everyone else you need to worry about. He had like two sacks in the game. It was ridiculous. But again, anybody can have a big day. Like Kingsley Kiki. If you were the Saints and you were breaking down the Packers, you'd be like, eh, Kingsley's not anybody you have to worry about ever. Got two sacks in the game. It can happen. Um, anyways, at linebacker, the one guy you need to know about is Mr. Dion Jones again, slow start like a lot of guys, but you do need to know about him. You do need to be concerned about him. Largely, he's known as being very good in coverage, which obviously you got to worry about to some degree. But again, considering the amount of deception, it makes it difficult. It's one thing if you're Mike McCarthy and you just, you know, if you take a running back and you split him out and you say he's going to go run a route and Deion Jones just comes out there and lines up against him, that's advantage Deion Jones. or, Or at the very least, it's, it's a solid matchup and, you know, may the best man win. The difference of what we're talking about here is Deion Jones sometimes has to pick what he's doing. He has to, first of all, diagnose what's going on. So he has to stop and think and process. And then even if he makes the right decision, he may be put in a, in, into a situation where it's no win. And so the, to some degree, having a really good linebacker like Deion Jones obviously works to your advantage, but to s- also to some degree, sometimes it just doesn't really matter. So again, historically, he's more of a coverage guy than a run defense guy, which works to our advantage when we start looking at, I bet the running backs are going to tear things up. Also, his coverage has been suspect so far. Not the worst ever, but he's allowed 10 receptions on only 13 targets, so 77% of the time he's targeted, it's caught. He's given up 60 yards. He has not given up any touchdowns, but he uh, doesn't have any interceptions or pass breakups either. So, uh, similar to the Packers' defensive philosophy, he's not giving up any big stuff, but as, as far as kind of dinking and dunking in the middle of the field, he's not doing a lot of disruptive stuff. right? You get your six yards, he'll bring you down, there you go, and I think the Packers will happily take that, if that's what he's given up so far, which, just looking at this, kind of seems like that's the way that it's going. Um, other guys, Michael Walker, fourth-round pick in 2020, so far he's not doing anything. And uh, Leroy Reynolds, I don't know if he's getting a lot of opportunities or what, but he is basically the number three so it's a 4-3 defense when they're in their base you got three linebackers Leroy Reynolds I mean I've thrown it out there a lot in terms of worst I've ever seen right Oren Burks and whatnot this is if Oren Burks took that first two years and he's been in the league for four five six seven years and never improved that would be Leroy Reynolds it's Oren Burks level linebacking play for seven years so again summarize nobody really outside of Grady Jarrett is very good against the run Takaris, not Fowler, not Dion Jones, none of these guys. That's a problem. It's very similar to the Packers. I don't know that I trust a lot of guys outside of Kenny Clark to stop the run. Zadarius hasn't been all that great. Preston hasn't been all that great. Rashawn, which is the one thing you'd really expect him to be good at, has been more of a solid pass rusher than a run defender. The linebackers haven't been all that great. Very similar situation. Then you come to their, let's go, cornerbacks. The only guy that I think you may be somewhat worry about would be Isaiah Oliver, only because he was a second-round pick in 2018, but he hasn't really strung anything together that's been somewhat promising. Maybe a little bit in 2018, his rookie year. 2019, he was ranked 81st out of 115 corners. So far this year, 41st out of 100. uh, 60, basically, overall grade. And he's probably by far their best corner. So again, Devontae is going to feast. Whoever we put out there has the potential to go win, whether it's Malik, whether it's Shepard, I don't honestly even know how to pronounce this guy's name that's in the slot. Ray Wilson? Blitty Ray Wilson? Doesn't matter. Not sure what his purpose is. He played a lot in week three. I would say due to injury, but I don't see anybody that's a corner on the injury report right now. Looking at safeties, and again, keep in mind Keanu Neal, who's a relatively impressive player. Um, he hasn't practiced the last two days. He's got a hamstring injury. But uh, Demonte Kazee is their uh, free safety, with Keanu Neal playing a lot of strong safety. And Keanu, honestly, is, isn't all that great but he's he's relatively competent but I think if I were to summarize the defense it's it's kind of just Grady Jarrett depending on if, if again guys have really good games but Grady Jarrett is the only guy that that's going to be able to stop the run and I don't see how that's going to work out against one of the best run blocking offensive lines in football and Aaron Jones and whoever else we put in the backfield and as far as coverage they don't have good corners they don't have that good of safeties Keanu Neal might not even be playing it's I mean it's, it, and we know this we know it's going to be rough but this is real rough. Like, it's to the point where if I'm sitting here trying to think of best-case scenario for the Falcons, what is it? I don't know, man. I mean, let's just say Dion Jones has the best game of his career. What are you, you going to have him do? Follow Aaron Jones. Okay, well, Aaron Jones is going to run a lot then. Or, you know, we'll just split him out and take Jones out of the equation. He'll follow Jones with two running back sets, and uh, we'll let Jamal run with Jones completely out of the picture. I mean, it just it, it doesn't matter. You're going to put him on tight ends? That's a mismatch. And what about Jones? I don't know of any position in which we are at a disadvantage. I don't know of one. If Isaiah Oliver's job is to cover Devontae, I don't know of one. Maybe Grady Jarrett against one of our guards, possibly. Although it looks like he's typically lined up the majority of the time. He's going to be over Elton Jenkins and Corey Lindsley. That's not an easy matchup for anybody. Corey Lindsley is the best center in football right now. So that sucks. And then, you know... Again, I mean, geez, right now, Corey Lindsley, number one center in football. David Bakhtiari, number two tackle in football. Aaron Rodgers, number one quarterback in football. Even Lucas Patrick is ranked 16th right now. Elton Jenkins is ranked relatively low because he had kind of a rough game last week, small sample size again, but we know he's a good football player. Turner, who cares, whatever. But it just, this is just brutal, man. Now, is it brutal the other direction? Of course it is. But in what way? Matt Ryan is ranked 15th. You've got uh, Matthews, the left tackle, is solid. He's ranked 25th, though. They've got a good center in Mack, but he's 13th out of 34, so he's kind of mediocre, I guess. Carpenter isn't good, their left guard. Lindstrom isn't good, their right guard. Gano, if that's still their right tackle, is horrible. you got to worry about Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley, that's true, but Julio right now is ranked 33rd. Ridley's the one you really got to worry about because he's tearing it up right now he's the second best wide receiver in football but Jair is the second best cornerback in football so at least again at least you can see a path in which the Packers have a chance Oh, well, their defensive line is bad yeah I, it has been but if Kenny Clark comes back and Kiki can even halfway maintain what he's doing and Zadarius can step it up up against this offensive line they've got plenty of potential Kevin King isn't all that good but if, if he was built for one thing it's stopping Julio Jones Jair, I don't expect him to shut down Calvin Ridley, but he was built to play against guys like Calvin Ridley. I mean, you you may as well have specifically designed the Packers' defense to play the Falcons. So yeah, I I expect the Falcons to have success, and I expect to be frustrated, and I expect all these things. But again, what it comes down to is which defense is going to have the ability to stop the other offense sometimes. And I think it's the Packers' defense. I think that's fairly straightforward. Not going to be easy at all, but it is advantage Packers. And not to mention the most important aspect of all of this. The reason this team, the Falcons, who are, who are relatively talented, they, they've got holes, they've got problems, they need some help, no question. The biggest problem that I've been saying now for going on, what, three years? They need an organizational change. I don't think it's working at coach right now. You look at the absolute collapse, that's a coaching problem. Even if it's the players that are collapsing, it's still a mentality issue, a confidence issue, a, 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 a conditioning issue. I don't know what it is. Maybe the coach's play calling is an issue. I'd heard another podcaster talking about, you know, when they're up by two scores, they're still passing. They're not running the ball. That's stupidity, man. I mean, I get the all-gas-no-break thing, but you're, you're giving them an opportunity by launching the ball through the air, going three and out, and then just preserving the clock for the other team to come back. That doesn't make sense. That's a coaching problem. We've got the Atlanta Falcons coach, who right now is is an embarrassment, up against Arguably one of the best coaches in football right now, Matt LaFleur. That's the other aspect of this game. So nothing's a guarantee. There are no guarantees um, this week in any of these games. There's clearly a path to victory for the Atlanta Falcons, and that really just comes down to if the Packers' offense is not clicking on all cylinders, the Falcons' offense is going to have the opportunity to run up the score, like they've done pretty much every game this week, or every, geez, I've done that twice now, every game this year. And then just, you know, have your defense hold off Aaron Rodgers and the Packers offense for a while. Which, you know, it's hard not to laugh saying that sentence, but you know, sometimes stuff sputters, man. We've seen that with the Packers numerous times. You never know. But there's a reason the Packers are seven and a half point favorites, because they are clearly the better team here. And remember, the the biggest weakness for the Packers is that the defense isn't performing, and that's largely because some of these players who are very, very good are not playing up to their standard. You know, Preston Smith, Zedarius Smith, Adrian Amos, Darnell Savage, Kevin, Kevin King ish, Kenny Clark, has not played and has also his one game was you know not exactly up to his standard either. If these guys play and they play up to their standard, and and, and eventually you got to think it's going to click, right? Because again, this is NFL wide, so eventually, and I've been giving every other team the same amount of credit. You know, Deion Jones, he's had a rough year, but watch out, man, because it could click it's going to start clicking for these defenses. And unfortunately, that means the Packers' offense probably is not going to stay this high-octane all year when the defenses start figuring it out. But we've got to give the Packers' defense that same amount of leeway. Savage and Amos have been terrible. Okay, well, they'll figure it out. Zedarius has been terrible. Well, he's going to figure it out. Preston hasn't done anything. Well, he'll figure it out. To what degree, I don't know. But if they can just get back kind of close to what they were in 2019, which is not good enough, but it was very good at, at times. I think I'm happy with that considering what the Packers offense is doing right now. Anyways, I got to go. This was supposed to be a short episode. It absolutely was not. But um, you folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.